This is Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. Hello, thank you for tuning in. I'm Mark Gerson, and I am the rabbi's husband. And here, as ever, to unearth the inspiring, instructive, and highly practical wisdom of a Torah passage with a fellow seeker of biblical truth. And I am so delighted to be here today with Sarah Waxman, who has done so many things, including as the founder of At The Well. So, uh, Sarah, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And before we get into At The Well, you were a two-time national championship goalkeeper. You were the two-time goalkeeper of the year at University of Pennsylvania. Yes, a former life. So how did you become twice the best women lacrosse goalie in the country? Um, Wow. A lot of hard work, a lot of great teammates, and what it takes to be part of a team. You know, I've been reflecting on this award for a long time about what it means to be individually recognized for a team sport, especially as a goalkeeper. You can't do anything without a strong defense. But I think resilience and persistence and creating belonging with your teammates and then having a dream and working towards that. And then I you know, would be remiss to say that I wasn't born with some gifted hand-eye coordination that I used to my advantage to not only get into one of the best universities, but also sort of excel while I was there. Were you a lacrosse star in high school as well? Yes, but I went to a school where athletics were not... Uh, revered. And so it was a surprise that I was recruited in the first place. And then certainly, I don't really come from a family where anybody's ever played college sports. I come from a, you know, intellectual debate, lawyers, Washington, D.C., Jewish family, where learning is the highest thing you could do. And I'm their feeler daughter. And I think that translates both to my athleticism and then, you know, my belief and mind-body connection. And even into my work now about feeling into spaces within Judaism that need to be given a bitter voice and also the importance of talking about the relationship between the body and the soul within Judaism. So let's get into your work now. Tell us a little bit about At The Well. Yes, At The Well is a network of women using transformative practices rooted in Jewish wisdom. I founded this almost five years ago because I was looking for a place to explore my spirituality and explore what it meant to be a female and a woman and what Judaism even said about my mind-body connection. And it was at a time in my life where I was truly seeking lots of traditions and I felt like there was a big void and gap in even just the representation of rituals that were about women for women. I was never taught them and when I started bringing them into my life, it really transformed me as a person. And you took that personal transformation and you've created a real mass movement around it. And right now you have, you through At The Well, have several hundred Rosh Hodesh circles uh, around the world. Yeah, it's um, actually no surprise to me that it's taken off this way. I think um, as we continue to grow and find the support that this movement needs, we'll see lots and lots more. But the core of our work is promoting the ritual of Rosh Chodesh, which means new moon. Rosh Hashanah means head of the year, and Rosh Chodesh means head of the month. And for Jewish people, that means when the moon is very, very dark and then has its first sliver. And in the medieval times, it was elevated to being a women's holiday. 
And um, traditionally, it's been practiced by women coming together and learning and being in community and, and ceasing to work and being together. And we've interpreted that to be similar to how more traditional Orthodox women saw it in the 60s and 70s and created women's circles. And now at the well, coaches, teaches, inspires these circles. We call them well circles. We have several hundred. We've helped start, like I said, in the past five years in 16 countries in the world. 16 countries. So what does the well circle do? Yeah, they meet every Rosh Chodesh or around the new moon. And usually it happens in people's homes when we're not in this period of COVID, which is when this is being taped. Right. Everyone in the circle commits to creating a sacred space together. And that's the foundation of our magic sauce, which is belongingood. Community is a group of people with a shared mission and shared responsibility for a sense of belonging. Shout out to Wendy Verba, San Francisco Federation, who does a lot of work around this language. And um, we see the Well Circle as exemplifying that place of belonging, where you have a group of people who commit to meeting every month. And then they use the wisdom of the Hebrew calendar to be the base and framework for conversation amongst the circle. And it's a place for transformation and introspection. But because it's Jewish, it's never done alone. We are always about personal growth, but within a community and within a Jewish people. And these well circles are examples of that. So each well circle becomes its own community that's a part of a larger community, almost a society. Exactly. And that's why our mission is actually a network. A network is a group of people or a group of communities that are tethered together by similar values. And it's, again, perhaps a different conversation, but I really believe that mental health has a basis in spirituality and faith and also social change and movement building. You have the recipe of spirituality and networks and you're really able to transform and move. And I think that that is why we see At The Well growing at the rate that it is, especially during this time when people are feeling more disconnected and more lonely than ever. Um, it was a problem before COVID and now it's even bigger problem. And so the combination of At The Well's work, both rooted in the cultivation of inner world and spirituality framed and rooted in Judaism, and this idea of connecting the body, which is more of the secular wellness conversation that we're forgetting in the Jewish people. And then really thinking about how does an individual grow within a community and how is a community connected to a network? We're really thinking forward in terms of that emergent social change. So in terms of um, connecting the body with one's spirituality, we're going to focus uh, during this discussion on mikvah. Literally one of my favorite Jewish rituals of all time, and perhaps the ritual that saved my own relationship to a long, 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 long history of body dysphoria and disconnection. Interesting. So tell us about, um, first, the mikvah experience. What's the experience of going into the mikvah? And then, uh, and then let's talk about what it's done for you and what you do for it. Yeah, so mikvah, let's just define it. It's a body of water, according to Jewish law, halachic law. It has to be a flowing body of water, so water in and water out. It has to be collected by natural sources, so rainwater. It has to be deep enough that a full body could emerge, emerge completely in it. And other than that, it's just water. And what I love about it is it's taking a really vital element of the world and using it and putting it in a ritual, putting it in something that we interact with, with our bodies. And so the ritual is that during different moments in someone's life or 
in a marriage or in different markings of time within sort of a Jewish practice, someone would go to the mikvah. And yeah, it looks different in different communities. Also a river is a mikvah, for example. So you can use natural bodies of water. But you go in hoping to transform. And the mikvah is there to move you from one place to the next. Yeah, I think it's 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 a very interesting concept in, in the Torah that water can be transformative. I mean, we, we very rarely will use an adjective to describe water. If you say, I want to get a glass of water, that's typically the sentence you use. But if we look at Genesis, Genesis actually 26, 19, it says, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of living water. And this term living water will reappear all throughout the Torah in the sense that water is something that can give life and that can give rebirth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for most peoples on earth or cultures, water and fire are used to help transform. Hmm. And what Jewish people have done is, you know, create rituals around it, add blessings, and that helps sanctify or make things holy. If you're talking to, you know, Chinese medicine doctors, they'll talk a lot about water and the, you know, the capacity and the elements of water. And this passage from Torah is definitely lifting that up, that water is living and water is life. And even I think the, the first, you know, sentence of Torah in Breshit is about a light going over water. And, you know, from there creation starts. So actually, when I first started learning Torah with my Torah teacher, Hadar Cohen, about a little more than five years ago now, you know, I was raised in a, in a family that was very Jewish in our connection, and we practiced holidays together, but I didn't grow up in a textual knowledge base like I do now, uh, or at least I study now. And the very first thing I asked Hadar to do, I said, okay, let's spend three months learning all the different places in Torah that water appears. Wow, what a great question. She was like, I don't think there's a book that have we've ever organized it like that. And I said, you know, I'm really thinking about how Judaism can be used as a tool to help people heal and transform and for wellness. And for me, water has been one of the things in my life that has helped me heal the most. So I want to start with water. So how has water helped you heal and specifically the water in the mikvah? Yeah. I mean, even the organization that I, that I founded and now run is named for water, you know, at the well, which is a nod to water and it's a nod to Miriam and her leadership and um, sustenance. It's also a play on wellness. So it worked for us. Very nice. But yeah, I mean, I, I would never have been doing this work if it weren't for a random phone call I got from the mikvah lady at the Addis Israel synagogue named Naomi Malka, who called me about eight years ago now. Is it Washington, D.C.? Washington, D.C., yes. The major conservative synagogue that I grew up in. And shout out to Addis Israel. I think they're like, is one of the most sacred holy places that I ever go to. And they were thinking about alternative ways to use the mikvah that was outside of the traditional laws around mikvah within the Orthodox viewpoint of it. And especially because it's not possible to make a mikvah unkosher. They were thinking about other ways that you can interpret the laws of mikvah to help people heal and transform. And at the time, I was a teacher in schools, and someone who was on this committee to help think about the mikvah saw me teach and called and asked if I wanted to help be part of this. And to make a long story short, they invited me to help create a program for teenage girls and their moms around their bat mitzvahs to heal from body dysphoria and eating disorders. And they were asking me to be someone who performed the ritual of mikvah for them 
obviously not in a traditional orthodox way because I was wearing a bathing suit. Normally you go completely naked so that you nothing interrupts your body from the water. You even take your nail polish off and clip your nails and you do this whole ritual of getting yourself fully prepared for mikvah. But it was at a time in my life where I was really suffering. After 20 years of an eating disorder, um, I was only hearing my healing my own relationship with wearing a bathing suit and had bought a bathing suit for the first time. And then six months after I did that, I got this random call to essentially be the bathing suit model of my synagogue. And I became Otis Israel's first mikvah model. And for about two years, I helped teen girls learn how to use the mikvah to help them move from being a child into a woman around the time of their bat mitzvah, which is not usually a traditional ritual, but one that my synagogue was hoping to help create new rites of passage and body connection within the teens there. So what happens when you go into a mikvah? In the traditional setting? Either one. It's tr- it, but yeah, let's talk about both traditionally and the settings that, that you enable. Yeah. So um, first of all, I, I think we hear a really cute, awesome human in the background. That would be my four-year-old daughter, Aviva. Amazing. Just want to shout her out. I, so I hope someday she inherits a robust library of information that At The Well is helping to breathe new life into and add and add language and actual resources to let her have her inheritance around Rosh Chodesh and around Mikvah and, and owning her body. Yeah, I just want to say that. I never was shown the Mikvah. I was never taught about the ritual of women gathering monthly. I was never taught about tracking my body as a spiritual practice. I'm talking about even my menstrual cycle, which is another Jewish ritual. And so I think it's really 5780, which is the year in the Jewish calendar that it's time for women to own that, especially on a podcast that's called... The Rabbi's Husband. The Rabbi's Husband, exactly. So um, this is a new time, and it's important that we bring our traditions forward, too. Um, so yeah, your question is about what mikvahs... Yeah, so so let's say, like, I've, I've actually never been into a mikvah. I know there are male mikvahs, too. I've just never been into one. So a woman goes into a mikvah, and what happens? So there's always someone who's attending, like... Most things in Judaism, you don't do it alone. So there's someone who's observing the ritual of immersing in mikvah, and you will go and take a shower and take your nail polish off and all your earrings off and your clothes off and get yourself completely as raw as you can. If the mikvah is in a building, there will likely be seven steps. Seven steps. Interesting. Yeah. Because seven is a Jewish number of completion. Exactly. And that we're one and we're whole and that the water is actually here to help us do the transformation, but we're coming in whole and coming out whole. I think there's also a lot of other symbols there. So for anybody that's listening that's a scholar, please write to me and Mark to let us know. But yeah, you go in, let's say you're using it to prepare for Yom Kippur, which I think all genders do. Uh, You go and you contemplatively walk into the mikvah and then you get in the water completely and you perform three blessings, which are you do a blessing and then you immerse in the water completely so that no part of your body is touching the ground. You want your body to be completely surrounded by the water. And then you lift your head up and you say your second prayer. And over the course of those three blessings, you're supposed to move from one place to the next, you know, to help you mark that transition. And as you emerge, you merge, you go from, you know, being unclean to clean from being unholy to holy, and the water plus the blessing help make this time sanctified. Now, from from the 
earliest mentions of mikveh in the Torah, particularly in Leviticus and Jeremiah, all the way up to the last time you went to the mikveh, what is so cleansing and transformative about it? First of all, water, like we take showers, like if you're angry, you like go take a shower, right? There's there's a lot of images about how water can heal and transform. And I think even just like looking at cultures in general that have bathhouses as a main part of social gathering and culture and community and body love and society, they're all over the Middle East, Russia, there's this whole idea that bathhouses are a place to go and do some sort of important human ritual and to do that collectively and in a whole. So this notion that there is something in Judaism that is similar to that, I think is very interesting for us to look at. You know, the streets of the old city in Jerusalem are lined with mikvahs. And it's actually one of the 10 things that a, a Jewish community needs to do before they do anything else here in Aruvin 4b6. We see right here in Talmud that a mikvah is one of the 10 things that declares a community Jewish. Hmm. And if we're looking at our communities here in the United States, I think we need to look ourselves in the eye and say, are we doing this? And are we doing this, especially for the non-Orthodox community, to find their space and their and see themselves in this ritual? For me at the time, when I was exposed to mikvah for the first time, it was always something that like my mom would say, you're going to do it before you get married. Huh. And that was just the one time that I knew to do it. But there's a whole slew of times you do it. You do it right before you give birth. You do it right after you give birth. You do it before Yom Kippur. You can do it before any Shabbat. How often do you go? So anytime I see a body of water, I will do a mikvah. No, like always, 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 always. It's sort of a practice of mine now because like I said- You'll go into a separate mikvah or we, can you use a, a pool as a mikvah? Oh yeah. So I'll, if I'm talking about like a river or an ocean or a natural body of water, I will always use it as a mikvah. Hmm. A pool is not considered a traditional legal mikvah because it's not natural and it's not flowing in and out. This idea of impermeance is really important to help you move from one thing to the next. But here I am trying to look at what are the things in my modern life that are going to help me really feel whole and feel ready to be the best person I can. And especially like right now during COVID when a lot of mikvahs are closed, even though you know, married Orthodox women or females are legally bound to go to the mikvah every month after they're done with their menstrual cycle before they can have sex. It provides, you know, big questions around can we use bathtubs and can we use showers and can we use pools? And I'm not the, you know, sort of the authority on this. There's a lot talked about now and certain communities are considering it to be necessary and some are closing, but it's definitely um, right there in front of us to talk about what qualifies to help you perform this ritual. But if you, from a higher perspective and someone like myself who studied a lot of ancient traditions and a lot of Eastern tradition and also a lot of holistic medicine, water in every culture for every people on earth is something that is nourishing and helps people cleanse and transform. So what is it, how does it feel spiritually when you emerge from the mikvah? Because you've talked about how it helped you address a lot of the issues. And how does the this great ancient Jewish ritual help people with the most modern problems, challenges, and dilemmas? You know, I want to root my answer in some Torah text, which comes from Jeremiah 14, 8. 
And just so that you know, everyone that wants to on safaria.org, which is this amazing website, you can search for at the wells source sheets. And we've made about 50 of them public. And one of them is called Mikvah. So you can see a lot of the texts that we have right there and we work with as an organization. And this text is there too. It says, Oh, hope of Israel, it's deliver in a time of trouble. Why are you like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who stops only for the night? And this is actually a base text for Mikvah, even though it, it appears on surface to have nothing to do with water or transformation or, or, or Mikvah at all. But hope, the word hope in this text, Mikvah Yisrael. It's the exact same word, the same letters. The word, it is the word. Yeah. yeah. So early on, you see Mikvah is considered, it, they call it a house of immersion. And then later you start seeing it called hope. And now today we still call it hope. And it has to do with the root. So all Hebrew words have roots. And the word for mikvah and hope are, is kuf vav hey, which translates to wait for or to hope. And it also means to collect water. And I think that if you think about this ritual in its English, if you call it hope, I think it is easier to see how important it is for just anybody in their life that needs a little bit of support and a ritual around transformation, growth, healing in your life. You know, I'm thinking about friends of mine who suffer from addictions and are trying so hard to change and offering them the opportunity to do ritualized immersion to help them connect and commit to their life as holy, you know, their bodies as holy vessels and to move past this really hard limiting place using mikvah to help them and having letting them use it as a place of hope and longing for something seems so beautiful and so powerful and for my peers who I've recommended to them it's been a real source of strength for me in my life you know someone like many women and girls in this country who've suffered tremendously from body dysphoria so much so that I wouldn't own a bathing suit for 20 years or you know have a lot of challenging thoughts this invitation to connect my body and my soul together through water and through ritualizing that connection gave me a lot of hope and really, really helped me during a time where nothing else was moving the needle. And was this, you know, the story I shared earlier about the mikvah and the mikvah Adis was the beginning of my even thinking and ability to see Judaism as a foundation and a root for me to use in my life to feel good and whole and well. So the mikvah has, holds a very, very, very important place in my personal heart. And what a great message straight from the Hebrew language that the very waters, the living waters are a source of hope because by immersing yourself in them, you can come out transformed and you can begin again. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I'll just say, you know, I'm, I skew secular, but deeply spiritual Jewish. I'm named for all my ancestors named Sarah. So it's in my blood. But I'm living in an extremely privileged time, like no woman has come before me, where I have the opportunity to learn Torah and use it as a foundation for myself. And the mikvah still today is something that is very much owned in the domain of men. And there's a lot of men in the Talmud talking a lot about the female body in it. And we know the Talmud doesn't have any voices that are female or women. And so I think now, you know, a lot of my work is trying to give voice to what do women think and feel about these Jewish rituals that are their inheritance 
How can we use them to make the most meaning and transformation in our life? And then also, how can we write down our version of these interpretations so that we participate in this long, long game? You know, the best book club of all time is how I think of Torah. It's the same book over and over and over. Today, it's time for women to write to write their version of it as well. Well, you know, the founder of, of Chabad, uh, Shulman of Liadi, said that the first mikvah was created by God when God uh, transformed the world in the story of Noah. He said he took the world and bathed it in water and out it came 40 days later transformed. You know, and like, what a time to need hope than the greatest flood ever. And now in a time where we're experiencing something that none of us have ever lived through or really even thought could be, creating hope is essential. It's essential for our ability to have strong mental health. It's essential for us to move forward. And I believe that it's essential for us to think about creating the necessary social change that we need to do as humans on earth right now. Absolutely. So Sarah, thank you for uh, such an enlightening conversation about a subject, the mikvah, which I didn't know much about. And it's so interesting and even inspiring that in our tradition are these absolute gems that might just be foreign to us, but can have a power that actually stretches to the transformative. And so thank you for bringing that out and for teaching that to us. Absolutely. And thanks for inviting me to join the conversation. It's an honor. So just one more one more question, unrelated to the mikvah or Rosh Hodesh. So in Andre Malru's 1968 book, Anti-Memoir, he talks about running into a man with whom he served in the war. And he said, this man had saved a lot of Jews and then had become a parish priest. And he said to the man, in all of your years of hearing confessions, what are two conclusions that you can make about mankind? Two things you've learned about mankind. And the priest said, I've learned two things. He said, one is that everyone is much less happy than they seem. <laughs> and two, there is no such thing as a grown-up person. <laughs> so Sarah, in your, in your five years of founding and running at The Well, what are two things that you've learned about mankind? Wow. I think I might agree with the first one, but I would frame it differently and perhaps use a little more hope in it, which is that I like to think of humans as icebergs and what they're showing you in the front is like the top of the water. You can kind of see it, but underneath it is like so much massive stuff that you have no idea about. And it's a, it's important frame for me when I'm talking to anybody to remember that there's a so much more that I can't see. So I think that. And another thing about humankind, I mean, I could go on this for a long time. These are the conversations I really love. I want to make give you a really good one, something beyond just love, which we all need. Well, that one was great. I mean, we just want to leave it at that. That's awesome. I'll just add that rooting into ancestors and rooting into land is time and time and time and time again, the most healing and powerful thing that I've seen any human do ever. Hmm. Well, that's such an appropriate way to end this on Israel's birthday. Amen. Yeah. A, a dream that my ancestors only had, and I'm privileged enough to just live and be born in a time when it's a reality. It is incredible that we could say, you know, putting this time aside, it is incredible that we could say, I want to be in Israel tomorrow, and we could actually do it. And it's absolutely astonishing. Yeah. I, I People ask me why I started at the well, beyond the sort of answer of like, this is deeply needed, and it was deeply healing for me, and I saw my friends looking for it. The real answer is that I'm the most privileged version of all of my ancestors. I'm a woman. I'm in the United States. I can be openly, you know, as Jewish as I want. I'm not experiencing persecution on a regular day. I can get the best education that my family can provide for me. You know, I'm living completely free. And 
I get to just say that I was born in a time when Israel was a country rather than all of my ancestors before who had to hide and be quiet and hush down and only hope for a time when there could be a place called Israel. And I just live in it. So it, it felt really important for me to spend my life in awareness of my privilege and do something for my community and my peers that I know we're planting seeds for for future generations to bear fruit. And I feel that very, very much. And I think that in a time where I'm privileged enough to do it, it's sort of my responsibility. Well, you're certainly doing it. And thank you for all of your work and for such an enlightening conversation uh, this evening. Thanks, Mark. This was a joy. 